What if we took away all the lights? Hand all the music. What if we took away all the people? What if we took away all the social media platforms? What would your foundation be? What would you stand on? Jesus said that the mysteries of the kingdom of God were given for us to know, but they were given to them in parables. Everything that we believe and everything that we stand on is found in the foundation of these parables. Through parables, Jesus taught about love. Through parables, Jesus taught about mercy. Through parables, Jesus taught about forgiveness and the reconciliation of the world. He used parables to fight the religious leadership of his day. That is the move of God for this day, for this age. We are changing religious perspective. It is time that we get back to the basics. It's time that we get back to the understanding of the kingdom. It's time that we go back to the feet of the cross. We take these parables and we dissect these and we understand who it is that we're supposed to be in the kingdom so that we can go out and we can bring other people in so that Jesus can love them, so that Jesus can reveal himself to them, so that God will be glorified. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another installment in the Indeed and Truth Ministries podcast series. I'm Logan. I'm Amber. I'm Brandon. I'm Jason. And we are here to continue the discussions of the parables. And today we're going to touch on a parable that half the group has not read about. So, uh, <laughs> you know what? I, I just want to let you know, Brandon, that um, the microphone is in and there will soon be a video camera on you. And you won't be able to do things off mic to instigate no more. At least it's not soon enough. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be tomorrow. Anyway, <laughs> so... Uh, Sorry for you guys, it'll be a week late. But so that's what we got going on. Um, books are out. Um, check out the website. You guys can reach out to us at indeedandintruthministries.org. You can get a hold of us on the contact tab. You can also reach out to us on Facebook, Instagram, on TikTok, um, and just you know get a hold of us and let us know what's up. Um, I think we've got a handful more of these to be working through, but as we're working through these, you know, I'm always looking for more series ideas and stuff like that too. Things people want to talk about. Probably go back to general conversations for a little while, but you know, faith related topics, um, you know, and, uh, you know, if we open up this video podcasting thing, it'll be completely separate from the parables thing. Um, so we'll have to discuss that, but I think it would be kind of cool and we can always touch on, um, you know, topics and things like out there that maybe we're not covering on the podcast. So, uh, exciting stuff to look forward to. Uh, we're going to be looking into e-courses and some other stuff all free on the website. Just, just go check it out. Um, so today, we are going to begin talking about the lost sheep. And I actually really do see a couple of weeks of this um, because there, I feel like there's a lot in here to unpack and there's a lot to look at and there's a lot to share and talk about. Um, and, and maybe not, maybe not two weeks, but I'm just, I don't know. I just kind of feeling like it might be a two week thing. So who wants to open this and start and read Matthew 18 verses 12 through 14. Anybody, any takers, any takers, any takers going once, going twice. Mm, 12. How think ye, if a man have a hundred sheep, and one of them be gone astray, doth he not leave the ninety-nine, and goeth into the mountains, and seeketh that which is gone astray? And if so be that he find it, verily I say unto you, he rejoiceth more of that sheep than of the ninety-nine which went not astray. Even so, if it is not the will of your Father which is in heaven, that one of these little ones should perish. Okay, so I want you guys to hold on to that last verse there. 
He says, because even so, it's not the will of your father, which is in heaven, that one of these little ones should perish. So I think it's really interesting to, to, to note because how he ends it in Luke 15 is different than how he ended it here. So who wants to bring up Luke 15 uh, verses three through seven? You got that, Jason? Go ahead. Three. And he spake this parable unto them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness, and go after that which is lost until he find it? And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. Who wants to start? Amber, do you want to start? Crack it open. Somebody open this up. Start, start, start somewhere. Because we reference this a lot. We talk about the lost sheep a lot. We bring this up a lot. But I think there's a lot more in there than just picking out. There was an obvious statement. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say the the last part of that where it says least not one of these perish. That was the biggest part that stuck out to me because even Jesus on the cross, he said it is finished. He That was his last words. He said it's finished. If you look at the Hebrew word for that as test. Test, I can't pronounce it right. It's test or however you pronounce it. But if you look up that word in Hebrew, it means the debt, the healing, the, um, oh, there was another word, the, um, the payment, the payment in full of the healing. And there was something else that, that was really profound there. But the, the point is, is that he, from the foundation, even God had even spoke and he said, he, he, you know, he created us from dirt. So with him creating us from dirt, I mean, I, I wrote a big thing about that this morning on, on our Facebook, but even from the creation of dirt, he didn't want us to perish. He had created us for him to worship him, to love him in the image of him. So why would he want you to die like that doesn't make sense to me and that i mean I, I don't know how i don't know why he would create something to hope that it fails you know what i mean so i just i don't know when i think about that last verse that's what i think about is so you're making a statement that says <clears throat> if you're lost or backslidden or not saved then your theology about how god doesn't care about your life and wants you to succeed is yeah busted because now. i mean as as christians we are as not when we were non-christians we were all there why well, God let this happen. God let this happen. He did this. He did this. He did this. If he, if he's so big and so powerful, then why'd he allow this and this and this? And that's what we all did. I'm guilty. I know y'all are. I mean, well, so- and this is, this is what I'm getting at. So God is constantly his love because we know in Romans, he said, that Paul said that I've become convinced that there is no height, no depth, nor, you know, and he listed this whole thing that can separate us from the love of God. Because even when we were the enemies of God, he still gave his son for us. And so his love is constantly reaching and pursuing. And so I think like, you know, the obvious point, right? That's, that's the obvious statement I was going to make because that is the obvious thing. Everybody looks at the scripture and they see God's love in action, right? Not just that, but his love is so 
profound in us. I mean, it says even from the beginning, he breathed his breath into us. And even from Moses, when he was talking to Moses, he said, what is your, you know, uh, what is your name or who are you or whatever? And the words that he spoke was Y-H-W-H. And we've turned it into Yahweh, but it meaning breath, the breath that you breathe in the out. So every breath whether in groaning or a sigh or whatever, you're speaking his name continually. He loved, you know, he loved so much that he knew he was going to build you even from the DNA of your structure with his breath, his, his word, who he is. Okay. How about one of you two? Well, I'm going to go with the fact that the importance of us going after that one lost sheep is something that we miss out on a lot. I mean, we all know a backslider that's walked away from the faith, walked away from their own stance because it was just too hard of a burden for them to bear. And what did we do to reach out to them? You know, what did we do? And don't get me wrong. There's an extent that they just block themselves from us. They don't want that conviction to continue on them. So they, they ignore us, but we don't, we don't cease from praying for them. We don't cease from, um, if we see them, we'll, we'll immediately go up and hug their neck. We all have a few of them in our own lives that we do that too anytime we see them. But we continually pour out to them the love of God because it is it behooves us to allow God to continue to work on them in hopes that they return. And even Paul said that, you know, if oh, I just lost that one. Okay, sorry. Uh, Brandon, how about you? So I think in this scripture or passage per se, um, I think it it's related to a ministerial uh, capacity and a personal life capacity. But um, it also says if he finds the sheep. So there's a chance that that person may not want to come back or want to be found in this in this particular situation. But if we are supposed to be imitators of Jesus, and in this passage, we assume that this man is Jesus because we call him the good shepherd, then we should go to such lengths that he did. Not that we are the one persuading them, but it's God who woos them to him. And I think that points to what Jason just said, because we have to give the Holy Ghost room to show us how to approach and deal with people, especially at this capacity we're talking about right now, especially people who are backslidden. I mean, not so much people who haven't been saved yet or haven't experienced God, but people who are, who have experienced him and have been revealed to him or he's revealed himself to. And, and they walk away from that, you know, and, and, you know, immediately religion says, Oh, well you better chase him down and you better force them right back in there. I mean, for God's sakes at that point, might as well just be Amish. Cause they, I mean, they, they'll, they'll kidnap them and do all kinds of wild stuff to drag them back into the community. They just, they're nuts, man. And so we cannot be like that. So like what you're referencing here, being a image and a, and an imitator of Christ and Jesus goes out. And I do like that, but the downside to that theory is, is because in Luke 15, it changes and it says, and when he hath found it. And in verse 13 of Matthew 18, he says, if so be that he findeth it. 
So one aspect of this, and I think Jesus is painting two pictures here, possibly one. He's, I think he's trying to paint the picture that, Hey, look, there's a possibility that I may find them. There's a possibility that I may not find them. There's a possibility that this person may hear me. If I go back, look, I could think of one person specifically right now that you don't want to approach and come after them with a heavy hand on, uh, the God aspect for their life because they might snap you in half and they've got the power to do so physically have the power to do so. So that is not going to win that person back to the cross. That's not going to win them. And that's why I said, you know, um, and then like you said, Jason praying for them, you know, being open. That's why I said, and I always tell people that I always let the Holy ghost. Do I approach this person? Do I not approach this person? You know what I mean? Unless I'm with Amber and then I'm just like trying to go in and like, you know, enjoy my meal. And she's like, I got to pray for that lady. I'm like, Oh my gosh. Every moment of my life is to minister God. Every breath I take, every move I make, my first, my first thought is God, what can I do? What can I do here? Who do you want me to talk to? What do you want me to do? Because my life is not my own. And that's, I live like that. I literally live like that. If I'm at home, I'm ministering to my kids. If I'm by myself, I'm ministering to myself. Like I, I just do. I, I don't know why. I mean, that's just, I think this passage also illustrates the great love that Jesus has. And it's also the love as Christians that we're supposed to have. Not that like what you were saying, we're supposed to go and bereft them with this information that and cram it down. Well, and here's the other side of that too. They already knew. Mm -hmm. Some of them have sat up under good teaching. Mm -hmm. And some of them have sat up under and had genuine encounters with God. And they already know that his love for them is genuine, but they allowed themselves to become convinced somewhere, whether it's experiences, whether it's, you know, situations, and they just become convinced to say, oh, well, God's not with me. Well, it's like you said in the last podcast, too, as you made a comment about how the, you know, Satan comes as some, everything that you want, everything that you like. So in that being said, wouldn't he use those things to pull you away anyways? Like just to even pull you away from the church. Like you, like there's been situations in our past where we've told people about our past and those situations and they're like, oh, wow, I don't have a testimony like that. So they got to go out and get their own testimony. Exactly. Like that. And, and it's so dumb. Too. It's like, why would you want that? Yeah. Why would you want to go through torment? Why would you want to go through addiction? Why would you want to go through beating up and, and doing all these dumb stuff? stuff that we did in our ignorant past life. Like we were so immature then, like, why would you want that? There's nothing there. Like at I actually all. can think of somebody right off the top of my head that specifically looked at me one time and said, Oh, well I just haven't lived life. I'm like what the heck do you mean you need to live life? And I made actually made a comment to him about that too. What you just said, I never told anybody that, but yeah, I made a comment to him about that. Cause I knew what he wanted. Because he would listen to me tell these stories and stuff like that. And it's like, you know, I don't tell these stories because I want you to think of me as some, um, you know, over the top kind of person. I tell these stories because I want you to realize that, you know, God's redeemed me from some stuff um, that I don't stare at lightly. You know what I mean? So. Uh, so whether or not you're going to go back and correct it, I don't know, but it wasn't Paul and that's why I lost it. It's actually Jesus that was saying, if you have ought against your brother, you go to him. And that's what I was trying to get to. Like, if we have anything that is going on, like if our brother is, is stumbling in something and there's, that's where I was mixing Paul in because Paul said, if we're able to do something, but it causes our brother to stumble, we shouldn't do it. But 
when we go to them and we tell them like, Hey, this is, and this is perfect example. This is why we don't advocate this because you don't want to live this way. You don't want to fall to the the temptation, but that's the same as going after that lost sheep is going to tell this person that this is not something that you need, you know? Well, and I think we need to border some lines there because that's the issue is because we've got congregation members walking up, telling other congregation members what to do. You can do this. You can't do this. You can have this. You can't have this. And you know, the reality is this. You did not save me. Jesus did. I changed and I let things go because of my relationship with him, not because of my relationship with anybody in this room. You see what I'm saying? And I think we get that mixed up. And so we come across thinking we're being helpful. Right. And we're not helping. We're tearing them up because not only are you pointing out the things that they're doing wrong, but then you're rubbing it in their face. I, it's like ghosts. I was, I was about to say, that's just like, I was about to tell, say, sometimes you got to let them be the prodigal son. Right. Sometimes you got to let them go out and find out for themselves. Like let them eat with the pigs, like let them fall down on their face, let them go without. And then when they come back, you celebrate it. Right. You celebrate it. And like it had never happened. Yes. Hold them accountable, but also celebrate it as if it never happened. That's See, where mercy comes I from. I wasn't trying to advocate that we're telling people, you know, this is right. No, this I is wrong. I just wanted to bring I that get up. What you're saying. Yeah, no, yeah. I just wanted to bring it up because Sometimes when we talk about this, like I know the four of us know each other. And so there's some conversations or some things we say during these podcasts that I want to just make sure that I'm making a clear line about, hey, this is what I'm talking about. You know what I'm saying? Um, Because I can think of a few people who have left the churches over the years that have dealt with that exact same thing. Well, everybody just kept coming up, telling me what I was doing wrong and telling me this and telling me this. And it's like, I get all that, but I'm sorry, that just wasn't God. You know, and, and then, or you have a, I'll call her sister, Sally Sue, as Pastor Phil likes to say, uh, you know, she comes up and says, oh, I heard the word of the Lord for your life. And she starts trying to preach the word over you. And I just, you know, you're looking at him and you're like, yeah, yeah, that none of that's ever happened. You're so far in left field, but how do you deal with that? You know what I'm saying? And the only reason I'm bringing that up is because that can cause issues too. That can cause people to separate because, and, and, and I know what we're talking about here is going after those people. That's why I mentioned us being a couple of weak things, because I'd like to take some time and really define ways that today's church has intentionally and unintentionally called people out thinking they're doing the will of God in the first place. And they never were. And then forcing them out the door. And then what are we doing as the church? We're saying, Oh, well, you got to go get them. You got to do what Jesus said. Jesus said, go after the lost sheep. And so not only do you let that person tear them up and hurt them in the church, but then you send them back out on the street to go after and go get them. So they beat them and whipped them in there. And then they're going to go out and beat them and whip them some more. And then they act like, and then they play the victim when that person finally gets fed up and turns around and cracks one of them in the face and breaks the jaw. Well, well I would th- hope not. Not in the church. I'm talking about as, anyways. <laughs> the the backslider is the one that cracked the jaw, not the, uh, not the one going to gather up the person. I was just but I'm just saying, like, funny. Yeah. we make light. Anyways, Brandon, what do you think? Because I'll keep going on that. That just, because there's so many things that we just let happen. And we call it normal. Right. I I mean, I was looking at uh, verse 14. Even so, it's not the will of your father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. So we know that if it's not the will, then we have to uh, be, be obedient in how we do these things. Because then that, not only could we call, 
cause ought against someone else, but we could cause strife within our own self to make us go stray. So we have to be careful for that. But we also know it's not the will of the Father for us to be astray. So there's things in... So a better question to ask yourself then is, before you think that you're being oh so holy, you could approach the situation and you could ask yourself, could this cause my brother to perish? Right. Let's get past stumbling because we cause people to stumble all the time and we don't even take any account for it. The only time we worry about whether or not we did something wrong is when something finally happens and that person separates from us. And then all of a sudden you're doing the would you should have could have. And you're looking back on everything you think you should have done, or I should have did this, or I would have done this, or I could have done this. And, but why, why, how about we just knock stumbling out of the way? If we would start, I think with that question right there, these were Jesus's words. So Paul's words about, Hey, if, if I could do this and it would cause my brother to stumble, that came after the fact, but Jesus's words specifically was that the father's will is not that one of these little ones should perish. So he has no expectation that anybody in this room or anybody listening should perish. The will of God is not for him to perish, but the will of God is for everybody to repent. And if you choose not to do that, then you've made an active decision that says, God, forget you. I'm not going to listen to you. I don't care what you said. And I don't want Jesus's blood to cover my life. They become sons of disobedience. And when we've talked about this a little bit last week, pre-podcast about, you know, being given over to a reprobate mind, um, you know, what, what drives a person to that place, you know, and, and Jesus is saying, Hey, go after the lost sheep and, 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 and go after those people come back and celebrate them. And, you know, and like what we've talked about with the prodigal son, you know, now let's, even if you do get those people to come back to the church, why would you spend all that time now asking them about what they did while they were gone? <laughs> right. Because sometimes they're going to come back and already be ashamed about us. So why do they want to tell you? Yeah. Well, then you're going to pick them apart again. And then they're going to feel like, well, this isn't a home for me. Well, not just that. They won't even feel like it's not just a home, but they're going to be like, well, I thought these people were going to do different. Well, not just that. But I mean, you know, if you had a solid prayer life, the Lord's going to show you things anyways. And that brings, you know, Philippians four, six through eight. And it says, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with Thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. So if you are living a lifestyle of praying over everything and considering prayer first, you're going to know this is not going to be okay for me to say, cause you're going to get a check in your spirit saying, don't say that. Like today I had, there was something that I was gonna do and god said oh there was a blind woman in the bathroom at at the library and i was trying to hold the door open for her so she could you know and i was trying to coach her out but she was also mentally handicapped so she was a little bit slower and the woman her caregiver was just giving me hateful looks and i wanted to say I was going to say, it's okay. I have a handicapped sister too. So I understand, but God literally checked me and he said, don't say handicapped. She's going to get mad. So I didn't say it, but I said, I I told them, you know, are you here for the music? And I just made another conversation out of it. But if I would have said that because of the generation we're in handicaps, not a nice word. I don't know why, but apparently that's a bad word, but I'm just saying like, there's things, if you live a lifestyle of prayer, God's going to give you a check that says, "Mm, don't say that. And it's going to help that person get through whatever they're going through because you're going to listen to him tell you 
hey, say this instead, or hey, encourage them in this, or, you know, because everything that God gives you is going to be encouraging and edifying at the same time. So if you're listening to what he's saying, you're going to be encouraged and you're going to be edified at the same time. You don't always have to come at people with rebuke. You can come at them in love. You can come at them in kindness. You can come at them in patience and mercy and continue to let them because eventually what's going to happen is they're going to get so caught up in what they're doing anyways. It's going to hurt them more than it's going to hurt you because you already know where you're solidified at. You know that you're here with God and they're over here doing what they're doing and they're saying hateful stuff about you anyway. So when they come to that place, they're going to feel bad about it anyway. They're going to feel bad because one, they were saying things they shouldn't have been saying Two, they're, you know, calling you all every name in the book, whatever. But then they're going to have shame about that too. And if you just show them in love, like Jesus did, that's the whole point of it all is we're supposed to be the image of who God is and who God has created us to be because Jesus was supposed to be that perfect image. And he is that perfect image. And that's who we're supposed to be like. Well, if, if we're taking it like as serious as you said about, you know, let's stop thinking about stumbling block and let's start thinking about parish. Um, who here thinks that it's a good idea for your brother to tell you what to do? I mean, let, let's be honest, right? It's your dad's position to give you a rebuke. It's your father's position, not, not your brother, not your sibling, not the, not the random person. Don't get me wrong. Our pastors have a right to rebuke us. And, and those of us that have developed a relationship have a, a right to, we rebuke one another when it's time for that. But at the same time, we take less rebuke from brothers and sisters because that's not our rule. That's not the role of a brother or sister. Brother or sister is to help edify and lift up and to guide in the best way possible. Now, the rebuke, when it does come, you know, if we if we have to sit and uh, delve into it with a brother and sister, then it's able to be understood better. And we're less likely to call somebody to perish that way. Do you got something you want to say? I was just going to go with, you know, in, in the scripture where it says the Lord chastises those whom he, mm-hmm. he cares for. It doesn't say your brother or sister. It says the Lord does that. So like, while yes, I think that there is moments that God uses people to guide them, not correct them, but guide them. Hey, this is a dark path you're going down. You know, I think you need to be aware of your situations. And if you're struggling you know, talk to me or talk to your, your local pastor or whomever you're, you're in the house with and, and be careful because we're not, we're not here to place judgment. That's not our job. First and foremost, we're here to love and we're here to spread the good gospel that, you know, well, we now, and it's just, again, for clarification. Now the judgment he's talking about, it's not our job to look at somebody and say, Hey, you're going to hell. Right. Right. You know what I'm saying? Uh, but we do have to discern because if that wasn't the case, then we wouldn't be given one of the nine gifts of the spirit is discerning of spirits. So we do have to carry a level of judgment. So don't get on this high horse thinking that he's like, oh, they said we don't have to judge. That's not what he's talking about. Um, <clears throat> but no, you've got a really good point there. But something I want to add to that and same thing started. It started over here with her and then you guys just kind of kept it going. But where do we start fixing this in prayer? No. Repentance. No. In your pulpits. Well, yeah. Oh, okay. I get you. Yeah. You fix this on a overall ministry level in the pulpit. The pulpits are responsible. The pastors and the teachers are responsible for relaying and teaching us the word of God. 
Now, some pastors are doing amazing at that and some pastors not so much. But Jesus also warned us. He said, I'm going to send you in. He said, and they're going to be those who come in among you and they're going to be wolves in sheep's clothing. Now, it's your job to make judgment and discern what that is and who that is. Now, thank God, I can't really say that I have ever met anybody who's really been that way. Most ministers I've ever met are very genuine ministers. And I've never I really cannot say that I've met one that's been like really off the wall to me. Um but I can say that that's where I do believe this gets started and gets fixed because it's because here's the thing. I think that the pastoral role over a house sets the culture and the atmosphere of the church. So if you're strong and abrasive and you are dealing with issues and you are forging forward in the spirit, then the church is going to be strong. They're going to be abrasive. They're going to forge in the spirit and they're going to build in those areas and they're going to be laboring in prayer. And they're going to be all these other things we're talking about. All those things will fall in line. But if you have a pastor who is in the pulpit and is laying dormant mm-hmm. or they're scared or they're people pleasing, the church is going to fail. And you're saying, well, you're pinning down a specific church. No, I'm not pinning down a specific church. I'm giving you the options because that's what yeah. Jesus did in Revelations three. He approached every church, all seven of them. And he said, you've done this. You've done this, but I've got this against you. You've done this. You've done this, but I got this again. You guys over here really messing some stuff up and I've got this, but every one of them, he gave the opportunity to repent. So I'm saying that if we started fixing this in our pulpits and we started fixing our cultures in the church and we started changing the atmospheres in the church, I don't think, I think we would have more of these lost sheep incidents and we would be able to go out and get these people much more comfortably because you took time to teach them how to receive correction. Why is it that we can't receive correction from congregation members when they, when God does use them? Well, here's what happens. You won't listen to the Lord in your prayer time. Even if you are praying, even if you're praying for five seconds, he comes and he'll talk to you in the middle of the night. You just don't discern your dreams. You don't really know what's going on there. You just think these dreams are really weird. Um, If you won't hear it through your spouse, you'll refuse to listen to that. You'll refuse to listen to the pastor. And at this point, you're like, well, maybe if the pastor's wife will say something. So then the pastor's wife might say something to you and you don't want to listen to her. The prophet could come and say something to you. You don't want to listen to them. Exactly. Because it's all about coincidence. And then so the Lord will raise somebody up out of the congregation to come over and tell you. And then you'll stare at them for a minute and think, wow, how in the world could they have done? Because it'll be somebody that you have absolutely no connection to whatsoever. But you'll still look at it and say, nope, that wasn't God. And then you end up burying yourself down into a hole somewhere and then when you finally realize oh i'm too far in what do you do the first thing is you start cutting things off that are easy to cut off well god in the church is the easiest thing for you to cut off because you never build any relationships or got grown in there in the first place now it's one thing to be congregation members who are fighting your pastor on being able to grow in those areas but if the pastor is contending for people to grow that way we've got a different situation what do i mean by that Because the pastor is pursuing and building in spiritual places and manifesting things in the natural. And he is trying to help you get there because that is his job. His job is to shepherd and help you get there. But you still have all the choice in the matter. Jeremiah 29, 11 says that I know the thoughts and the things that I think towards you and the plans I think towards you, good thoughts to bring you to an expected end. So I want everybody to repeat this with me. God has a future. God has a future. future. Come on, you can do better than that. God has a future. God God has has a future. future. He has a hope. A hope. hope. And an expectation. And an an expectation. For my life. For For my life. life. And if you do not apprehend it, it is going to fail. And if you do not apprehend it, you're going to fail. No. You didn't need to repeat that part. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm serious. If you do not apprehend it, if you do not get a hold of it, it will fail. 
why would God, you know, and then all of a sudden you go through those dry seasons. Well, the Lord's not speaking to me. He couldn't speak nothing to you in the first place. You wouldn't listen to him for the last six months. What makes you think that now that you're in the valley, you're going to listen? See, we got to caution ourselves. And again, this comes back to, I'm telling you, this starts in our pulpits. Because if we set the atmosphere there and then the atmosphere in the house is set, that begins to pour out on the congregation members. That goes home with them. They start to set those atmospheres in their own home. And then sometimes you find some of those churches that are kind of, you know, half's on fire, half's not on fire. And so, you know, they're, they're, they're mixing and stuff like that. And every now and again, a flame will start to burn real bright and then somebody will come throw some water on it. And then somebody will get over here and then this person who hasn't been burning, they'll finally catch on. And it, and it just turns into a whole mess. But it starts there. In my opinion. Now, I know somebody's going to listen to this and they're going to get really, really mad about what I said and they're not going to like That's it. And okay. quite frankly, for them then. I'm not really worried about it because I'm serious. It starts in the pulpits. It is not the pot, the, the prophet's job to come in. Yes, it is his job to release the correction of God. I'm not saying that's not it, but it's not his job to come in. If he only say a prophet comes two times a year, he, he, he the Lord signs him to a house. He comes two times a year. So you're telling me that your entire relationship with God is based on that two times a year that prophet shows up. But you reject the pastor who has the pastoral and the teaching authority over your life. You reject him entirely. The only reason you stick around is because you know that two times a year this prophet's going to come around. And because maybe you guys have hung out a little bit and maybe you guys have talked on social media and stuff like that. You you take that and call that relationship. But the person who show, who's showing up at your door when somebody's sick pastor who's showing up at your door when your family member dies pastor who's showing up at your door when somebody does something they're not supposed to do and hurts one of your own family members pastor who's showing up at the door when you ain't got no food or you know you're having trouble with your bills and everything else pastor but you'll reject relationship with that person so the struggle, the reason why, and this, I said all that to say this, the reason why I really believe that we don't see Jesus said, even so, if I was to go out and he found them, he said, verily, I say unto you, he rejoices more of that one sheep than of the 99, which did not go astray. And so he said, if so be in verse four or 13 of Matthew 18, and then we go down to Luke 15. And then he said, and when he has found it. So I do still believe there's two illustrations there. I've only talked about one of them. The other illustration that I really see happening there is more referencing to a healthy church atmosphere. People who get hurt in a healthy church atmosphere were not hurt because of something in the atmosphere because the atmosphere is focused on God. Jesus said, if you lift me up, I will draw all men unto me. You can walk into a church and know when Jesus has been lifted up in that place. Those people don't leave because Jesus hurt them. They become convinced. The enemy gets in there and he convinces them of something and they'll leave. Um, they will uh, become offended because of their perception. They've seen something a specific way and that's not really what happened, but you can't convince them otherwise. But those people who have been exposed to those kinds of atmospheres you could go out and catch them somewhere and give them a little bit of time and the Lord will start to break their heart down and then they'll open up and they'll start to talk to you about what happened and what hurt them. Those, I really think that a lot of this points to having a healthy atmosphere in the church because the purpose we're going over these parables is because we're trying to correlate their references to what we need to be working on in the church. 
and we don't fix that atmosphere and we don't fix those broken places and make that job easier. And the only reason we don't do it is because we don't lift Jesus up. Why don't we lift Jesus up? Because we want to push the relationship with pastor out of the way. And we want to sit in our own little pew and we want to say, Jesus, I'm going to lift you up. And then when the pastor gets up to start preaching and I'm not nailing people who do this, unless you're not listening, but then you just start crocheting or you start playing around on your phone and messing around with games and start doing everything else that you're doing. Why? Because you want relationship with God, but how can you love him who you cannot see and not love him who you can see? How can you have relationship with a God that you can't see, but you can't have relationship with the man of God that he put in your life that you can see? Or you've got a really big problem of a, a generation that we're raising up right now that wants everything sugarcoated. They don't want to hear truth. They don't want to hear if, if it's a little stabby, they don't want nothing to do with it. Like, that's too much for me. Like, you need to put some sugar on it and give it to me in a Well, I think, I think we've been kind of stabby today. That's well, why I said at least a couple of weeks, because what I want to do next week is I want to open this up and I want to now look at. So we've we've identified some things this week that would be good indicators to watch for in our home churches. You know, if you're somebody who listens to us and you're thinking like, man, I talked to my pastor about that, by all means do so. Because the only way that we're going to open this atmosphere up and the only way that we're going to be able to go out and get those people like that, because he's talking about the, the congregation. He's not talking about anybody else. He is talking about the sheep. And he is giving clear instruction. This is how you should deal with that. So why is it that when we have clear instruction from Jesus about the congregation members, and if one of them leaves, how we're supposed to approach that? Why do we have so much turmoil and fight? Oh, it's just the devil. It's just a no. It's because you are still flesh and you're chasing them in your flesh and you're pursuing them out of flesh. And they never saw Jesus in you in the first place. So why would they stick around? So with that having been said, Next week, we are going to open up and we're going to actually talk about um, we'll open up and we'll get in a little bit more discussion because I got some more scriptures that I want to reference and I want to look at. And it's more talking about, you know, I want to get back into God's love because the only reason that, we, that any of this even starts is because this is not it is. Yes, it is. It is showing God's love. It's Jesus uh, depicting God's love, but it's also instruction. I mean, there's so much that's in this and you really uh, just for the editing process portion of this, you really can't unpack it all in a little over a half hour. So uh, there is a future, there is a plan and there is an expectation and people who are leaving the church because of hurts and offenses or because Satan convinces them. I really don't think it's because of anything else other than the fact that we don't have an atmosphere that's set. Um, you know, where do those offenses and hurts come in? Sometimes it is on people. I'm not knocking that. I'm not saying that because I know somebody's going to be like, oh, well, what about this or what? Look, I get it. Sometimes it is totally on a person and their decision. But you should be able by the Holy Ghost to go out and pursue and be able to conversate and talk with them and be able to still love on them and be able to still show Jesus to them. But they'll never receive it from you if they never saw it from you in the first place. You know, people in the church are watching you more than people on the street are probably watching you. I actually heard a preacher say that today. He said, you know, you have somebody watching you everywhere you go, whether it's your kids, your husband, your pastor, God, like there's people watching you constantly. There's somebody watching you all the time. 
And they're looking to see who we're going to be. And so I really think that Jesus was referencing some instructions about what we can do. But I think the only way we're going to get that, and this is just my opinion, is if we fix that atmosphere. A genuine atmosphere that welcomes in then and lets the Holy Spirit move in the congregation and lets people. I'm not saying do it all willy nilly. I'm saying be open and let God do what God wants to do. People get hurt and offended because people put their hands on stuff that they had no business. But, oh, well, I'm going to go over and rebuke that person. They're living together. I don't care if they're living together. I don't care if they're not married. You let God deal with that. You let the man of God of the house go over and deal with that. Just because your flesh is bothered by it doesn't mean that that gives you the right to walk over there and start tearing them up over it. And again, we just talked about a little bit and we'll get into that a little bit more next week. Uh, When you have an issue with your brother, go and take it to him. We've got clear. Jesus gave us some instructions on how to do that. We can approach these situations. And like what Amber said earlier, we can approach them in love. We can approach them in mercy. We can approach them in grace. We can approach them. And, you know, sometimes those people already realize what's going on and what they're doing is wrong. They're just too scared to admit to it because they're scared about what people will do to them. So if you paint a pattern of good works and you paint a pattern of being somebody who's understanding and somebody who's willing to, they may come to you and talk to you about it. And then if they do keep that, protect that. Don't abuse that, but you know, protect it and make sure that you don't give them a reason to get hurt and offended because you didn't, you mishandled something that you anyways. I was just going to say, and you said that they get scared and what uh, filled with fear because of what they already know that's going on inside of them. You know, 95% of the time I've noticed with fear and being scared of stuff, how do you, how do you react in that? You react in anger. You react in depression. You react in uh, uh, drawing yourself away from people. Um, And sometimes you just need somebody to reach out and say, hey, I'm thinking about you. Hey, how's it going? You know, not to throw it in their face, just to be like, hey, you know, what's going on? Are you, you know, you need anything? And and just, you know, just to be there, be there. Like, yeah, no, I don't. I am never going to be a person who gets behind this idea that we need to chase people down and beat them in the head. And why aren't you in church? Why weren't you in church? Why you haven't been there for three weeks? Where have you been? That's just no, that's just silly. The only thing you're doing is driving a stake deeper in their coffin. You ain't doing anything. You ain't. And now I've been a different situation now. Okay. Let me say, let me say it this way, but a different, I think I would see that maybe a little bit differently if leadership was to take off. Right. Why? Because Paul even referenced this and made a comment about how not all of you should desire to be teachers. He said, because we received the greater damnation. What was he referencing? What was he talking about? I really think it's because you are responsible for being a pillar and to teach the word of God and to minister the word of God to people. And because of offense and hurt, you walked away from it. Now, I would definitely address that way differently than I would address somebody who was in the congregation and walked out. That's a different situation. Two totally different things. We don't have the time to even open that up right now, but those are two totally different things. So. It's not about being favorites. It's not about playing favorites. It's about being sensitive and letting God show you if he, if you're going to be the one he sends to go do it, be sensitive enough to let him show you how to do it. Don't get a, but don't get a preconceived thought and a plan in your head and say, okay, well, if they say anything about pastor, I'm, I'm, I'm going to let them have it. I'm going to let them know. Like, that's not what really happened. That's not what went down. I'm not receiving like, no, you know what? It doesn't even matter sometimes about what really happened. It's about what they perceived. 
It's about how they felt because I could tell you anything you want me to tell you, but how you feel will not change. You know, me and Amber had a lot of discussion about this over the last few months because salvation did not take your humanity away from you. You are still an emotional human being. You are just now aware of the fact that you're an emotional human being. You you are still flesh and you are still human. You are still going to feel you're still going to get frustrated. You're still going to get aggravated. You're still going to be angry. But the Bible says that Jesus was tempted in all ways like we are and still yet found without sin. So he proved that a life empowered by the Holy Ghost, filled with prayer, filled with fasting, a life that is solidified in that area and is consecrated before the Lord can make it. And it can do it. And what you're probably thinking is, well, how does that even start? Well, I'm going to tell you how it starts. It starts with an altar call. And uh, I want to give you an opportunity to accept Christ today. And if you're somebody who's listening and you're backslidden and you're hurt and you're like, you know what? These guys are always shooting straight. And, you know, I'm just always going to be a straight shooter. I'm just always going to be that way. I don't see any point in messing around and trying to baby people. Look, we are way past the time in, in, in human in humanity. We are way past the time to be babying people. Jesus, when he comes back, he's not babying anybody. He is executing judgment. We're we're. I just I'm telling you, it is not going to be some it's, it's happening down. So let's uh, if that's you. I want you to really search your heart. And if you're backslidden, you know, you need to confess that stuff before God. You don't need to go find a priest. You don't need to go find somebody. He says, confess with your mouth and you will, you, you should, he, because he's faithful and he's just, you confess your sins. He's faithful and just, he will forgive. And I do believe that God forgives immediately. So if that is you and that is how you're feeling right now, I want you to get that straightened out. But for those of you who are listening to us and you've not uh, ever accepted Christ, maybe it's your first time hearing about this. Maybe it's your first time even hearing a message preached this way because everybody talks about the lost sheep and how we got to go after them. But nobody ever wants to talk about how they got lost in the first place. Nobody ever wants to talk about all the mess that's going on in the church because we look just like the world inside there. The only reason the church is mad and upset about everything that's going on now is because we just woke up. The church has been laying dormant and it's had power and it ain't done nothing with it. I'm not going to get into that. But if you're somebody who's listening and you're thinking, I've never had that kind of experience or I did have it, whatever it is, I just want you to repeat this prayer with me. I just want you to say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I come before you today and I ask for Jesus to be Lord and Savior of my life. And that from this day forward, I will live for you because you died for me. And I say thank you for it. In Jesus name. Amen. And if you did, we want to know about that. Reach out to us. Celebrate with us. Because as the scripture says in Luke 15, 7, he said, I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repents more than over 99 just persons which need no repentance. So God is His will is to give you the kingdom. His will is that you shouldn't perish. His will is that we would repent and we would turn towards him and we would believe on him who he sent. Two times we have in the New Testament that God confirmed with an audible voice from heaven. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear him. The Bible actually told us, Jesus told us, he said, all judgment has been committed into my hands. He said, the father judges nobody. 
How would you feel? How I mean, seriously, get that revelation right now. The father judges no man. He sees all, knows all. But he says, I don't I don't judge anybody. And he said, I gave it all to my son. Why? He says, that's why you can have a high priest that cannot be unsensible to your situation. Because he was in always tempted as you were, yet still found without sin. And so that can be you today. And if it is you, please reach out. Let us know. And uh, who wants to pray us out of here? Somebody, 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 somebody. Brandon, how about you do it? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that to come together and to uh, speak amongst your word and to help those around us and to, to hear us, Father. Father, I pray that we live a spirit-filled life, one that is sensitive to the spirit and that can discern the things that are going on, Father. And I just give you the praise and glory for all the information that was spread and the truth that was talked in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, join back in with us next week, and we're going to touch on part two. Uh, and I don't know. We'll see where we land at. Maybe we can get a part three. Take care. God bless.